Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Farewell 2021. It was long drawn out. Yet somewhat brief at the same time. In a year that saw many companies fall into the holding pattern due to the uncertainties of the global pandemic and supply chain issues, can we expect 2022 to be any better, different, worse? Please delete as applicable. Are we going to see new video calling services continue to boom? What about the augmented reality and the metaverse? How will fitness continue to change and adapt to the ever-increasing sensors that are available to us? And will Apple finally do something meaningful in the smart home space? To discuss these questions and what we think are going to be the big trends of 2022, I'm joined by PocketLens Chris Hall and Britta O'Boyle as we run through some of the topics that we believe will dominate the headlines of conversations over the next 12 months. So Chris, let's start with you and ARVR. What do you think is going to be in store for us in 2022? Well, let's let's um, roll roll the clock back a little bit because the AR and VR story is actually quite long already. We people are always talking about what's just around the corner and AR and VR, different ways of augmenting reality always seem to be there. But for the for me, this story really goes back about ten years, perhaps a little bit more, because. I remember covering the 3D TV launches, and it was very obvious Mm. at that time that having changed TV aspects and moved to slimmer designs, the TV manufacturers wanted something else to tantalize us with. And I sat through countless demos where I was wearing glasses and was shown just how amazing 3D TV was going to be. And as we all know, it was something that didn't really take off, you know, a couple of years later, and it had completely been dropped, and nobody even talks about 3D TV anymore. But at the same time as 3D TV was coming along, VR was also having a bit of a renaissance. And some of the stuff that was put together for 3D imagery also works very well in a virtual reality environment. Not the same 360 degree way, but, you know, splitting down into two different channels for your different eyes so you can see what's Mm. in front of you to give increased depth and reality. So... It was logical that 3D would move over to contribute to uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. But I do have this feeling that it's walking down the same sort of path and it will encounter some of the same problems, which is that to get these things to work, you have to put something on your face. And that's a lot of the solutions that people are talking about. We have seen headsets. I mean, there have been things like HTC Vive around for quite a long time and uh, other augmented reality systems that we've seen before, like uh, Google Glass and things like that. And each of them, there's an explosion of interest at the start, but it doesn't really ever pick up with consumers. Google Glass was the, the biggest thing that we remember about it is someone using it in the shower and then reports of how creepy it was <laughs> because you could film anything. And that always seems to be the problem when you have a capture device on your face that you're wearing in public, which is what a lot of the, and we've uh, seen that. the sort of AR devices are talking about. You know, that's a problem. Privacy becomes a problem. And we've seen that with 
with like Facebook and the Ray-Bans last year, didn't we? And, and Snap and the Spectacles. Britt, we're kind of, there's now starting to be rumours that Apple are kind of getting into this space. You know, people are talking about Microsoft. Google is rumoured to be getting back into it. Do you think we're at an inflection point here where, you know, the technology will be there, but the privacy concerns or the social concerns of, of us will hold the technology back further? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, something to be said for the privacy aspect of stuff, because even if the person wearing it is happy with it, the per- people around them may not be. Um, although Apple does have, is particularly fond on its privacy things, isn't it? So there is a good chance that if they do launch it, which they are rumoured to, and they, those rumours being ongoing for quite some years now, that perhaps they will do something different about it and maybe then the privacy things won't be quite as prominent. Yeah, I think, I mean, my, my slight concern, I suppose, is this, is this idea of, of if we do start going towards wearing glasses for, you know, to augment our reality. And, and I think, as you said, Chris, you can see that's coming, you know, each year, every year we kind of say, is this going to be the year? You know, we've been, you know, app manufacturers, all these people, you know, Snap are using, you know, augmented reality in various ways on their apps. You know, that's a really popular kind of thing. You know, you can see that there's now a lot of content or a lot of sort of supposed interactions. You know, I, I think the Pokemon Go stuff, I don't know anybody that plays it augmented reality-wise. They just play it as a regular game. But it's it feels that I think my biggest concern is that we suddenly get to a point where life doesn't necessarily exist for the same for everybody. And what I mean by that is, you know, I could... I was talking about some of this at the weekend. It's that I could, I could have it that whenever I see a picture frame, these glasses augment my favorite photo or my favorite picture into that frame, and so therefore I'm never introduced to anything new. And you'd be like, "Wow, look at that! That's an amazing picture." And I'm like, "Well, it's 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 the same picture that I always like." Right, because it it kind of creates a very sort of linear existence where everything is fairly boring. Um, and and the thing that we've we've kind of learned over the the past few years is that people actually like their phones. The information they have on their phones and now on on watches as well, it, it, that's in a useful place because it's out of the way, but it's always there. And there isn't that suggestion that you always need to have that in your eye line. You know, helicopter pilots have heads up displays and stuff and the, the military have targeting services and stuff like that. But when you're walking down the street, you don't need a scrolling list of your appointments in your calendar. You don't need to see all of this stuff. You do need to disconnect. And some of the augmented reality suggestions that we're seeing in that sense is just information overload for the sake of it because it can be done. I think there are some applications that are useful and we've seen some virtual reality being used in industry, you know, like engineering training, where does Mm. this piece go? And that's all really useful. And I've also seen, which is a slight uh, extraction from that, the use of augmented reality in cars is now a lot more useful because, you know, cars have had heads up, head up displays for a while showing bits of information, but that's getting bigger. And so you're actually looking at an augment, an augmented reality of the route. So you can see exactly where you have to turn and stuff like that. And that's, that is quite interesting. It's not quite the same as the way that people think about AR and VR where you're wearing a headset, but it is, you know, that same technology being put together and it, and it can actually be quite useful in that sense. Now, one of the things you've mentioned there, which I think is really interesting, is the idea of, of data for data's sake. We're starting to, changing subjects slightly, but we're starting to get into a world where when it comes to exercise, Brit, we are kind of overloaded with 
the data that's available to us, you know, whether it's heart rate, whether it's cadence, whether it's time exercised, all those kind of things. How do you think 2022 is going to fare in terms of fitness and and sensors that are available to us on the devices that we use? (laughs) I suspect it's only going to get more so with each company giving you a new sensor to one up another company. Um, So I'd imagine that wearables, um, your phone, headphones, all of those things, that trainers, everything that you do or that you use for any form of exercise, I'd imagine will have a sensor in it at some point, whether that will be next year or the coming years. Um, I do definitely think that it's going to be something that's more prominent because um, exercise doesn't appear to be going away anywhere. Um, And... So I guess people will continue to want all of that information, um, whether or not it's actually useful to anybody. Um, some of it is, I think, like uh, blood oxygen and stuff. I definitely think that's become useful um, or more useful over the last year. Um, but there is definitely some stuff that I just don't think that you need to have or the information you just don't. It's not required to see. You just don't need it. Um, and I suppose, and I suppose, I was going to say, I suppose we've we've also got, you know, the Google Fitbit deal is now done. That's now they've now integrated, and so, uh, do you think we're likely to see more from 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 that division within Google, kind of pushing pushing that forward after? Because effectively, they've had a couple of years of of of, of that kind of not being able to go anywhere because of the, because of the buyout. Yeah, of course. And and actually, the Google Fitbit thing is probably one of the most interesting because actually, the way that Fitbit give you data is one of is one of the better options out there because they give it to you in a very user-friendly um, manner, which means that actually the information that you, you get, you can digest it a lot easier than you can in some other platforms. Like Garmin give you a lot of data, but it's, it can be quite confusing in some aspects. I'm sure Chris will um, agree with that sometimes. But there's, there's definitely a user-friendly way that Fitbit do it, and hopefully Google will take that from them when they when they launch something I'm guessing that it's where OS platform will use Fitbit a lot better and and hopefully their fitness side of the Wear OS will actually be a lot better than it has been in the past because previously it's not been brilliant if I'm honest um so I do hope that the Fitbit angle will will improve that quite dramatically and obviously they they've got sleep sensing on the hub the Nest hub already so with a bit of luck the sleep tracking and things like that will become a lot better for those devices and Chris, I suppose going on from that, with with staying within the Google ecosystem, you know, where OS was completely rehashed with Samsung last year, um, I presume we'll see more Android or Wear OS devices coming this year. Does that is that something that's exciting? I, I think the most exciting thing about Wear OS at the moment is the possibility of Google's own device. Um, there's always a little bit of pixel mania whenever there's a new pixel out and uh, a pixel watch is is potentially something that people will get very excited about because that will be Google showing off exactly how it thinks that system is supposed to work, which is what happens with pixel phones. There is, I, I think there's still this underlying separation between devices like the Apple Watch, which works seamlessly with the Apple ecosystem and are very, very popular. And then the approach that Google has taken, where it's trying to, to 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 let everybody have a go, so anybody can pick up Wear OS and they can put it on their device and they can make it do whatever they want to do as an open platform, and that means that it's kind of 
lost its purpose and it's lost its sense of direction. You never really know what you're going to get. And for some people, it's it's great. I mean, the integration with Google products and services is fantastic. But as a watch, it just feels like it's duplicating some of the stuff that you ha- that you have on your phone. And the experience on your phone is a lot better. So why go down that route in the first mm. place? Um, the, the only other thing that I think I would add to this is that I still have this concern about people taking fitness and bundling medical health in at the same time. And a lot of the expansion seems to be uh, coming across on medical sensors instead. And so you're not just talking about you go for a run, this is how far, this is what the training effect might be and all the rest of it. It suddenly becomes about all of the services that should be provided by medical professionals. And there is this sort of money in your life feeling with some of these things that they're, you know, perhaps making promises about being able to do great things for you medically, which I'm not always certain they can do. Yeah, and that certainly feels the way that Apple seems to be going for me. Um, You know, there's only so much data that you can get back if you go for a 5K run or jump on a bike or or what have you. And a lot of, certainly the effort that they made in 2021 was, you know, sort of continuing the rollout of the EKG, you know, the the cardiovascular stuff, those kind of things. And, you know, the rumors are all suggesting that this year might see the launch of blood glucose glucose monitoring, you know, further more medical things. Uh, I think health tech, so to speak, will be quite a big area over the next decade. I don't think it's going to necessarily happen in 2022, but certainly for the next decade, I think you'll start to see, you know, and this perhaps move on to our next subject with, with the smart home, you're already starting to see Alexa offering like care together, you know, ways of monitoring elderly, you know, via Alexa and things like that. And I think companies like Google, like Amazon, like Apple see that as a big opportunity to kind of care for an aging population in certain countries. See, we know that companies have a purpose and the main aim of a company is to make money. And so having enthralled the technology enthusiasts with um, little devices and gadgets, if they can move on to another market and move into healthcare, you know, especially in the US where it is a is a huge sector which can be worth a lot of money then obviously that's routes that's a route that companies are going to follow with their technology if they can now Britt, you've covered uh, smart home for quite some time uh, pocketlin and before you joined pocketlin <coughs> if there was such a thing um are we starting to see the market saturating you know if you've got an echo you've got an echo and it seems to be one of the messages in 2021 was you need an echo in every single room possible even if it's just going to listen to your washing machine link leaking um <laughs> is there is there anywhere more for it to go do you think in 2022 i think there's definitely room for improvement with smart home i still don't think it's as unified as it should be um unfortunately all companies are different, aren't they? And, and as Chris said, they, they all want to make money. So they all want you to sign into their platforms, which then means that across the board, it's it's actually quite disjointed still. Um, and for a smart home to actually be smart and actually be useful, it needs to be uniform. It needs to be unified, really, because otherwise it's completely pointless. If you've got to open five apps just to get your lights to turn off or whatever, it's not helpful to anybody. You might as well switch the switch and still flick the switch so mm. <clears throat> i definitely think there's room for improvement there are there are obviously a couple of things that have happened this year um with thread and a couple of the other platforms that may help with this but um at the moment there's definitely there's definitely definitely improvements to be had there so i think there's 
somewhere. Yeah, it does seem to be in, in the podcast, regular podcast listeners will, will know, you know, I've interviewed quite a few smart home sort of centric people, whether it's lights or sensors or services or, or things like that. And it does feel that seems to be the growing suggestion or growing feeling from lots of people with industry that they're now starting to get fed up with the fact that things can't talk to each other. And we've suddenly got this kind of, you know, singular ecosystem. It's like, well, it either works with Alexa or it works with Google Assistant or randomly it works with HomeKit. Chris, do you think that's that's the next problem to try and solve? Well, I think we've all um, we're all in a situation now where we've been building up our smart homes like a house of cards. And if you take one out, the whole thing just completely collapses. Um, there have been some big solutions there. So I um, I'm an Alexa user and the introduction of Alexa routines meant you could basically take control of and automate anything that you wanted to. And the thing that I then found was that some services would then add some extra support in the background to be compatible with Alexa devices. So I ended up with a duplication, one that I'd set up myself through Alexa routines and one that then appeared automatically through an update. And that happened with uh, with my doorbell, for example. Someone would ring it and I would have about four or five alerts um, coming out all over the place. And sometimes it would just come in an infinite doorbell loop that never ended and I'd have to sort of pull the plug. Um, so, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a growing problem and it kind of feels like they need to take this a step further and they need to use. I mean, Google is the master of, of artificial intelligence. We've seen this uh, and machine learning. I'd kind of quite like Google to look across my smart home setup and say, you have all of these things happening. You have all of these things that are duplicated. Here is the much here is the most simple way for all of this to happen. I've mm. done it all for you. Your 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 system is now stable, secure, and and that's it. Everything works. Don't worry about it. Um, we don't seem to be there yet. It still seems to be this fight, as Britt said, a fight for the owner of the platform to have dominance. And you set it up with. Uh, although a lot of the hubs have gone, there's still a lot of apps. Sign in with this app. Register with, with this. Um, even though we have these background services that you know Zigbee was doing, and now we're going to see this from Matter and Thread and all the rest of it, it, it there's still a lot of complexity there that I don't think needs to be there. Um, it just needs to be streamlined and you know perhaps handed over to some uh, some almost, artificial intelligence overlord. It just kind of almost needs that you need. I mean, because they're trying to do this, aren't they? There is the the group, you know, Matter, which has kind of got. Apple and Google and Samsung and stuff in there as well. You, it almost feels like you need one sort of controlling, centralized player that is able to talk to all these people through the apps and, as you say, work out what's going on. It's like, you know, I've, I've got a doorbell and it doesn't necessarily... To get it to talk to my lights is really hard, um, you know, or to get it to talk to something else or, or a speaker in the house or, or the Sonos or, you know, something along those lines. It, it does feel like you're running multiple ecosystems so let's hope maybe that 2022 starts to see some inroads in in how that can be fixed now while we're waiting for our doorbell to talk to all our different devices or our heating to do this or vice versa or what have you um, the last certainly 2021 saw us watch a lot of telly uh through streaming services whether it's because we were in lockdown whether it's because we just there was suddenly a glut of of marvel uh things to watch or, or various shows to to catch up on it and stuff like that Chris, what are we going to see in terms of entertainment from us, from from the companies in in twenty twenty two? Is it is it 
finally time to get an 8K TV? You know, I have a sneaking suspicion that it's not going to be time to get an 8K TV. Um, I've seen I've seen some of the 8K TVs when I mean, because 8, 8K has now been around for three or four years. Um, so having seen some of the first generation, and even second generation devices, um, the good thing about this technology is it always gets cheaper as time goes on and it always gets more and more refined. And, and essentially, the longer you hold off buying, the cheaper it will be and the better it will be further down the line. Um the, the good thing about 8K, though, is its benefit only really kicks in um, sticking to that old rule of how far away from the TV you are. And 8K really supports these massive TVs, you know, over se- over 75 inches, that sort of thing, because you're putting that TV in a room where you may have had a 40-inch TV 10 years ago. Um, and that makes a big difference to the effective viewing distance from mm. from that screen, which is where you need the higher resolution so that things stay looking sharp instead of looking a bit softer. Um, in the UK, at least, many of us don't have rooms that are big enough to accommodate that size of TV. So 8K doesn't become a huge problem because 4K is is exceptionally good at at doing it. And in some cases, even full HD on some of the smaller TV sizes is still perfectly good. And, uh, you know, if you had an 8K TV in a, in a, or 8K uh, screen in a smaller TV, you wouldn't see the you wouldn't see the real benefit of it anyway. So uh, I don't think there is the motivator there to buy as there was at some points in the past. I think that the evolution of HDR TVs has has had a bigger impact than straight resolution itself. Um, but these things are going to get cheaper. And over time, I think we'll, we'll see more of that. It may be that things like projection comes up here for people who want to go really big and have a sort of 100-inch uh, display instead. Um, certainly, I think that this year there will be a lot of talk about 8K and there will be new technologies and new refinements and better processing and all of that sort of stuff. But I don't yet think that many people will actually need to rush out and buy this type of TV. And do you think, I know we started to see this in 2021, this sort of idea that a TV is not just for the lounge um, and, and therefore, you know, starting to, as, as manufacturers realize that we're not necessarily going to upgrade our, you know, if we've upgraded our lounge TV, then trying to get us to upgrade it so quickly thereafter, if there isn't a big technology like 8K to upgrade it again, they're now saying, well, you know what, you need a TV in your garden or you need a TV in your bath or one in your hallway or whatever. Do you, do you think we'll see that as a growing trend or is that just a flash in the pan that we saw in 2021 and, and probably not beyond? I definitely think there's something there. The The idea of a garden TV is interesting because, I mean, as, as you know, Samsung has a garden TV. And I when I saw it over the summer, um, I, I did say, you're not going to sell many of these in the UK, are you? And he said, well, surprisingly, actually, we do sell quite a lot because there's now a demand. People being stuck at home is a big thing. Entertaining at home, you know, more people want to get outside, you know, the, and the summer is the summer is long and there there is now a demand for it. And I suspect that um, while Samsung's version is quite premium and fairly expensive, we'll probably see other players coming into the market because, up to now, that has been a very, very specialized segment of the, of the market, as has the the waterproof TV um, for, the, for your bathroom. Mm-hmm. But I do think that we'll probably see some people move into this area and say, oh, we can do this and we can do this and make it good value for money and get away from some of those very expensive niche operators and, and, and bring it into the mainstream. I mean, there's no reason why not. The panels themselves are um, getting increasingly affordable 
And so for something like, you know, waterproofing your TV, it's just a case of saying, this is how we're going to construct it and put it together. So, so yeah, why not? I think that's probably something that we should all be looking forward to. And I'll put a TV in my shower. Why not? There we go. Britt, are you TV in the bath or just is that a bit one step too far? <laughs> well, that's been around for such a long time now. I mean, they were never, they were never brilliant, but, um, but that, that sort of idea um, was around way before I even started pocketing. Um, so I mean, they, they, there's room for improvement there too, I think. So there's definitely people that could make some money out of that probably. Um, but I'd have definitely have a TV in my garden. Happy days. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just get the kids yeah, out and get the kids playing in the grass, but also making sure they get their fix of Paw Patrol. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and do you think we'll see this, Britt, do you think from a streaming content point of view, we'll still see this, this you know, this... F- how do I say, you know, this urge, this need to create so much content? Or do you think readers, you know, listeners today will think, you know, get to a point where there's just there's too much. I can't follow it all. I mean, there's definitely too much. Um, and I think you get to the point where you'll watch something that everyone's talking about and then you'll finish watching it and you go, oh, God, what can I watch now? Because there's I've been hooked on that for the last week or whatever and you've binged it. Um And you'd like to hope that maybe next year we might be able to go out a little bit more and actually we may not need streaming services quite so much. But equally, I mean, who doesn't love a binge, right? Great. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. Right. So final question for the the podcast this week. Um, Which one do you think of the ones we've talked about or maybe something we haven't mentioned, do you think is going to be the big kind of the thing that's going to dominate everything for next year, for 2022? I'd say fitness because I think it's the closest to being sorted. I think smart home's got a little way to go. I think the same about AR and VR, especially in terms of Apple's stuff. So I would say that fitness would be, is going to be prominent next year. We have big announcements in fitness. um, And I think that it also has the advantage of, of crossing that divide between at home and outside of the wild, whether you're with other people or without other people, it's definitely been something that we've seen expand massively over the past two years. Um, and with a third year of of whatever coming down the, the line, I think that, that people are still going to be interested in fitness. And I think people will be definitely making some changes there. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Pip Pip. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.